the Mastering the Mind podcast episode 10. Today we have a really, 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 really exciting episode for you. Uh, we have our third guest coming on. Uh, her name is Holly Bradshaw and she's a professional pole vaulter. Uh, Holly is the current British record holder in the event indoors and outdoors and competed both at the London 2012 Olympics and the Rio 2016 Olympics. Uh, Holly's most recent accomplishments have been winning gold at the Athletics World Cup, winning silver in the 2019 European Championships, winning bronze at the 2021 European Indoor Championships, and she's also now in the process of training for the upcoming Olympic Games, which are set to take place this summer in Tokyo. So let's welcome Holly to the podcast. Hey! <laughs> Hi. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, yeah good, good, good. Seeing you're being proactive in the group. Yeah, I just, I'm one of those people where I can't just like sit on the sofa with it like hanging over me. I need to just like be on it, doing it. I don't know. Even if, even if it's your day off, you you need to be, yeah? Yeah, because even yesterday I was like sat watching TV and I was like, oh yeah, could I actually, I need to look at that or oh, what about that for confidence? And oh, I should, what about that? Acti-? Like, it's just always going on in my head. I don't know. I've always been the same. Just like really like can't let it drop. The passion for psychology is real. <laughs> well, in like really weirdly, um, when I started this MSc, I'd ha- I'd, I, did, I did my undergrad um, over like six, seven years and it was distance learning. So never went to a lecture never really had like time pressures. And then when I started doing this MSc, I almost felt like it was a massive jump and everything was like getting on top of me. And for like the first couple of months, I like the transition was really difficult and I was stressing about it, couldn't sleep. And I actually woke up in the middle of the night and I'd come, I thought I had an assignment. So I'd, I came into my office and like started writing notes for it. Okay, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that. When I woke up in the morning, I'd made up the assignment in my in my sleep and then I'd done all this work for it. And it took me like a couple of months to like transition into it. It was really weird. Yeah, it must be weird. Like for us, like, so we had that event recently with the like posters and we met loads of new people in the course, obviously, because we were quite limited in what, like what we could do this year because of COVID. Uh, and we realized how many athletes are actually in our course. Like it's yeah. crazy. And when you compare like us being nobodies <laughs> and then this, you, you guys like athletes, competing at the highest level is the dynamic is so weird that's quite that's quite unique from Loughborough I think as well um yeah so what was that you did a poster thing yeah so it was for, what was it it was for the mental health uh, module yeah. I remember like doing a, it last year yeah you, you you did it in person I guess yeah um, how was that like in, in person? person yeah I was really nervous because um I'm not really like a massive public speaker so when like the assignment came out that we had to like develop a poster and then take it in and then like present it. I was like terrified, but then actually it was okay. It was quite nice. And then you all like half the group put the posters up around the room. It kind of did feel like a conference. So that was kind of exciting. And then people just came around and like, I mean, I'm not saying that nobody wanted to be there, but everyone was nervous. So it's not like, someone was coming up to me like why have you done that on your poster and why did you choose this it was kind of really laid back and chilled yes so did like any other professionals go or was it just um it was just your like group like on the module it was well Claire was there um I think there was one of the lecturer but it was just all students really 
All right, yeah. I, I thought if it was going to be in person, I thought it would be like, because um, I've been to other like conferences where, um, so my girlfriend's like an interior designer and she's like, she had to do like a conference uh, to show her work, uh, her dissertation and like other professionals. It was like a massive networking event and um, it was like really cool. Like uh, some people even come out with jobs at the end of it. So I didn't know whether it'd be like that, like where other psychologists and stuff go. I think that'd be pretty cool if um, that happened. I feel like Claire wanted, she said, I've invited other like professionals on the course, mm. but they never really came. So I think, I don't think it was anywhere near what an actual conference would have been like. Um, but I think it was just a way to throw us in a little bit at the deep end and stuff. But yeah, like I can't imagine it. We got a lot of more benefit doing it in person than maybe you guys did virtually. Did, so you did it virtually? It actually turned out to be pretty good, you know, uh, surprisingly enough. Um, but, but yeah, Claire organised it really, really well. Um, people we, we were actually asked questions that like they might not have even done in person. I feel like because we're not face to face, like people were more willing to, to ask you the uncomfortable questions. And yeah, it was just about like bouncing back. Luckily, I was quite uh, like it was my favourite topic in psychology. So sort of had an answer for everything but yeah it was it was really good so have you guys got to do another poster then uh it's like a, a essay or like a report i think yeah, it's like, like a report, report. yeah I've got, I've got a poster as part of oh are you doing quantitative or qualitative i'm, I'm doing god <laughs> i'm doing quant <laughs> i'm doing call so i'm with i'm like you i have to do the poster as well yeah. okay yeah. i kind of like the poster yeah, I like, nice. I, when I went to like the print shop to print it out because we obviously did it in person I felt like a real geek I was like oh poster and I've saved it it's like actually in the corner of my room like such a geek. yeah I swear you're really creative like even in our group work we like you're taking charge of the canva like all the colors all the layout like you're really creative it's cool yeah I'm kind of I wasn't always like that as in like when I started out in athletics I just like winged it and wasn't I wasn't very organized and stuff like that but as I've got older I've become so like meticulous and like organized and then yeah like making sure I have, like it stresses me out on slides if like all the fonts different sizes or like if all the titles aren't like the same so I don't know I don't know whether like sport has made me like that but I've, I've become really like OCD and it like stresses my husband out a bit because he's like why why are you bothered about that but I just am yeah do you think do you think before performance like before you compete you kind of have that habit of like trying to get everything like right like your routine right uh, like having a specific yeah do, do you find yeah. that I mean people always ask me like oh do you have superstitions or like routines and I've like purposefully made sure I don't because I don't want anything to like throw me up like say I get out there and I need to have this lucky pendant with me and I don't have it I don't want anything like that to like really throw me off so I've made sure it's really basic but what I have done over the years is just made sure like no stone is left unturned. So you'll see me out there and I've, I'm just like the most prepared, like I've got a stool. So if I, if I need to, if I need to be at the back of the runway because I'm up in five minutes, but I want to sit down, I've got a stool. And then if it's raining, I can put my pole on the stool so it doesn't touch the wet floor. Um, I've got, you know, a backup pair of spikes with me. I've got two, two of everything in my bag. So just in case I lose my tape, I've got it and it's all through like learning the hard way like my mom always said to me you know you'll learn but you always learn the hard way because I'm stubborn so 
I went to a comp once and my spray ran out and I was just so stressed through the whole comp because I had to try and borrow someone else's. I thought, right, I'm never doing that again. I'll bring two to every room. So like throughout this journey of like 10 years, everything that's gone wrong, I've made it my mission that I'm learning from that. I'm not, like I see it all the time in athletes they make the same mistake over and over. And I'm like, well, why didn't you just learn the first time? And for me, that's just so, such a habit. So now I'm kind of like, the longer my career goes on, the more like experienced and all these little like gadgets and things that I've like almost like created myself so that that's why like this year for the Olympics I just feel like I've got everything under control like everything is in the best place kind of thing yeah that's good like limiting everything that can go wrong sort of just allows you to just focus completely on the task but um speaking like about your athletics I think a good thing for the viewers like and and for me really because I was thinking about this last night like Growing up in in the UK and like at school, like we never did pot like pole vaulting at school and stuff, and it, it it's an event that like I find it quite not unusual, but like how how would you get into something like that? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like it's probably the most common question that I guess asked because I mean when I started pole vaulting ten years ago nobody knew what it was like I'd go through the airport oh is is that like a boat and I'm like no it's not a boat it's pole vault oh all right I don't know what that is oh what's that like is it sailing I'm like no like nobody knew it and they'd be like oh you're going to the Olympics what in what like event I'm like the pole vault didn't have a clue whereas now I'll actually go through an airport and go oh look there's the pole vault and I'm like I feel like just so happy that people know what it is and yeah like primary school high school college most athletics clubs they don't have the facilities for pole vault um because it's not only you know the track it's there you just run around it whereas you need the pole vault bed you need the box which has to be dug out into the floor you need the upright stands you know the bed and the stands cost about 40 grand so if you can imagine a little club they're not gonna you know how many you know do we even want a new set of hurdles for a couple of hundred quid or do we want to buy a pole vault pit which is 40 grand and then the poles, each pole is between 500 and 1,000 pounds per pole. Bearing in mind, I have 40 personal poles. Imagine how much money that is. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to get into, but you know, it is becoming more and more popular. We've got more coaching. Every, you know, every time I'm on TV, it gets a little bit more popular and kids want to get involved in it. And you know, we're nowhere near America. You know, every, every high school has a pole vault pit amazing facilities and everyone there does it so I do feel like we are getting better but you almost need to it's almost like the look of the draw for me I happened to go to a club that had decided oh we're going to try and introduce some of our kids to pole vault and I was just lucky enough to be one of those and the, after the first day of doing it absolutely loved it and just like never looked back. I did a bit of research so I watched you compete and, and I watched a few interviews you did and I feel like it's such a unique sport because first of all uh there's so many things that can affect your performance so like the weather you really you really talked about that in your interviews so like for example when you compete at London you love the crowd and stuff but the weather is so like well in the UK it's not the best and that can affect your performance and that for me that's that's so unique to to that sport yeah I mean the reason why I love pole vault is it's a love hate like I love pole vault it's literally one of those events which you just want to get it right. It, it's never going to be right. Um, you're never going to perfect it. It's like, oh, I've perfected it. I'm done. There's always something you can be doing. And no jump that I've done in my career is ever the same. 
and that's just what excites me it's like a puzzle and the good thing about pole vault is you can go into the olympics and as long as you rank within the top eight you know you've got a shot at a medal because so many things can affect it there are so many variables and of course that makes it exciting but then on the other hand it's incredibly frustrating because i mean take the european indoors i went in ranked 10 centimeters higher than anyone i hadn't been beaten by any of the field um in like six months so you know you pitch me as a favorite came away with bronze because so many things can affect the pole vault you've got the pole which can bend different on a different day you know you might be running really quick so you need a stiffer pole or actually i feel a bit sluggish today i need a smaller pole um you know like you say outdoors is there a headwind well there was a headwind for me but not my competitor so i'm affected you know there's a very you know like long jump there's a very small window for where you need to be at takeoff and so many variables can affect that as to oh i dropped a step, step at the start which means i'm 30 centimeters away well at 30 centimeters too close or too far i can't throw a jump so i'll bail or whatever and then in, in the europeans in particular I was jumping really, really well, but was just lucky, unlucky that I needed my stands, you know, the things that are like that, they can move forward and back. So again, that's another variable. Whereas on that particular day, I needed them at, there's, you know, you can have them at zero or you can have them at 18, anything in between you can move. And at, like throughout the season, I'm quite consistent where I'll jump with them between 70 and 80. But on this particular day, I needed them at 50. Well, how was I to know with everything else that's going on in a major champs that I need to bring them in? And that's just the example of how complicated and so many variables, but just how incredibly amazing the event is. Yeah. Like, how do you even cope with that? Like, psychologically, like, I'm curious, like, I'd be paranoid as hell, you know, like, <laughs> if I was a pole water. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I think you just embrace it, like, because, you know, pole vault is quite special we're out there and we're almost like a family like the 100 meter sprinters you'll see each other they'll, you'll see them like roughing each other up in the call room you know getting in each other's face playing mind games because at the end of the day they get on the start line and they sprint and they want to win whereas pole vault it's like a family because we're in it together we know how hard this is and you you kind of want to see your competitors doing well because you're like damn this event is so hard and i think that's just what gets you through it is you've got to have a I'm you've got to have like you've got to be very intrinsically motivated so for me the feeling of a perfect jump is what I'm striving for I'm not striving for the medals or how you know of course I want to see how high I can jump and I want to beat my competitors but for me I want to nail the perfect jump and that just makes the journey more bearable and exciting because you're almost, you're always searching it's not I'm dictated by whether I win or lose this competition because I think that just ends up killing you. And, you know, that's how you just, you know, if you think about all the things that could go wrong at the end of the run, like, oh, my stand's in the right place. And I mean, I've been, I've been on this journey and, you know, things changed for me a lot. The focus I had indoors was I got into a really bad habit of at the lower bar, so like at a 450, I'd, I'd look at the bar, I'd wait, wait and watch and just clear it with like a crappy jump. And that's not pole vaulting, that's just being safe. And I got myself into a bad habit because I really didn't want to knock the bar off. I was like, this bar, it means nothing to me. It's almost like a safety net, get me in the comp. So I'm going to watch it and just going to scraggle over it. But it, it does set you up in like a bad headspace. So I was really working hard all indoor season to get out of that. And I did manage to do it. 
That's good. Yeah, that's one thing I I noticed also in the sport is that you guys are so like, like like you said, like a family. You all want to do well and you all respect each other like equally. I feel like like our sport is football and it's not at all like that. So that's one thing I I also picked up on. It's really interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like the the decathletes and the heptathletes are the same and. I don't necessarily see it in any other event in athletics. It's, I don't know why, like, because it's such a hard event and you kind of, you know, I'm not saying that other athletics events aren't hard, of course, but you almost, you like, you, like you say, you have that mutual respect for each other that what we're doing is hard and you, you're not, you've not got an ego. It's not like, oh, I, I beat you all the time. So I'm better than you. So I'm going to act like an idiot. It's like, you know, anyone knows that on any given day you can be beaten because, you know, if I had, I kind of said this to the media going into Europeans, if I have a bad day and a few things are off, even though these girls are ranked below me, they could easily beat me because that's just the way the event works. And look what happened, you know, and that's why we all just have that kind of respect for each other. That's so interesting because like the media and like social media and people who actually just, just watch the Olympics casually probably won't even know that. And then like say for example if you if you lost the event and they were rooting for you and then they just go on to like without even thinking they'll just go on to twitter and just say something like not nice and it's like you just don't understand so it's good that you like shedding light on this and, and how difficult the pole vault can actually be yeah and i was I, I over the last couple of years i've tried to you know educate people and i feel like what's been lost in sport is like the purity of it you know Back in whenever sports started, there wasn't medals to win, there wasn't money, there wasn't fame, there wasn't, oh, I want to get a thousand more likes on social media. It was five people in the 100 meter sprint being competitive. I, I want to win. And that's what sport is. You know, you're going out there, you want to relish the competitiveness. And that's kind of what I do. You know, I go out there, I spend three hours with my competitors, having fun, having a laugh. But then when I'm stood on the run, I want to, I want to clear this bar. And that for me is what's lost and then yeah like you say you come off oh I, th I thought you were going to win you got bronze you disappointed well no of course I was disappointed in the moment but I'm not going to dwell on it I'm not going to let it beat me up for, for weeks after because that's not what sport is like if you watched the pole vault and you knew I was going to win and then you knew who was going to come second you knew who was going to come third you won't watch it it's boring yeah. sport is you're going out there to battle and compete and I feel like that is what's lost and I remember back in 2017 it just it is the like the epitome of social media and I, I, I am on social media but don't necessarily like it because I think it can be used in a very damaging way and I got a lot of exposure from the London 2017 world champs of course it's my home home event and the BBC were, were zooming in just on me. You know, none of my competitors, they weren't telling the story of how the event's unfolding, but they're looking at me, we've got a terrible, terrible wind. And my coach has stood at the side of the runway, basically telling me what the wind's doing. Because if you can imagine, the windsock is basically parallel to me. So I can't see whether it's a headwind or a tailwind because it's parallel to me. So he's telling me, but because on social media and the BBC are informing people incorrectly, um, oh, she's looking at a coach. She's deciding when to go off her coach. Me and my coach got so much abuse. Like he got so many abusive messages. I had messages for months after, oh, have you left your coach yet? He's controlling you. You know, you need to not let him control you. And I was just like, this is so damaging because the, the story is not being told correctly. And um, so I think 
it yeah. can just be used in such a terrible way. It was similar, like, uh, do you know when Anthony Joshua lost against uh, Andy Ruiz and, like, he come out of that fight and then the media were just making up things like he was having a panic attack in the dressing room and that people were forcing him into the fight and he wasn't ready mentally and, like, because Andy Ruiz was, like, a last-minute backup fighter, like, the media just come up with so many different things that weren't true and he just had to come out and just set the story straight. But even then, people don't believe him. Mm. So, yeah, it, it can be so damaging to, to, to athletes. And we, we actually covered this in, in la the last episode that we recorded with a basketballer. And um, he, he was saying that after a game, like, these guys go back into the changing room and the first thing they do is go on their phones and check social media. So if they've had a bad game, their notification, like, it's not like they don't see it like the notifications are just filled with, with abuse or if they've had a good game and that, that will just set their mood for the rest of the day or even the week's training. So it's so, and we were saying like the accumulative effects of that. So say if they were to, um, so they've just had a bad game on, on the Saturday and then they could go and try and play next Saturday. Like chances are they're going to have another bad game because people are just on top of them where we're trying to like sort of educate people on social media to try and be supportive of these athletes. Yeah, and like if you don't have anything supportive to say, just don't say it. Like it just seems like a forum for people to, you know, how you'd be, we all do it. You sit at home, you're like, oh, what was that free kick about? But I don't go on Twitter and like, like say something bad about what I've just seen on TV. Mm. Like, and I feel like people do that now instead of just vent into their husband, partner, whoever. It's social media is a vehicle to like abuse people. And, you know, like that's what I suffered with at the start of my career about like body image and even the, like I've got so many people blocked on my Twitter account and it's the it's the usual offenders and even um, recently when British Athletics tweeted about the body image I, it came up as like this person's blocked I'm like oh, oh I've blocked him for a reason he's obviously done another bad comment yeah. but luckily I can't see it because I've blocked it and then one of my friends told me he'd mesh, he'd said something like, oh, this is why we don't win medals because people, you know, athlete, our athletes aren't bothered about this stuff. And I'm like, you know, why do you need to say that? But I'm, I used to get really hit up on it. And like, I used to go on social media because I needed the gratification. Oh, people like me. And I'm very much like, I, I hate upsetting people. And I want to, like, I want people not necessarily to like me, but I like to be, like yeah I want to be seen in like a good light so it used yeah. to really really affect me when people would like abuse me but now I just don't even get drawn in just block them and then just get on with my life that's no, good that you can do that for sure we yeah we really appreciate you being so open and like talking about this because I, I don't think a lot of athletes would be like you know so open to talking about these like sensitive topics and I know you're you're doing a great job uh you've recently teamed up with British Athletics and kind of talked about your experience being a professional athlete and just shed light on like really sensitive topics like the one we just discussed so yeah we really appreciate you uh like sharing this honestly um, yeah I feel like at the start of my career when I was younger you know I, I didn't necessarily get a lot of media training but what I kind of was told was you know be careful what you say um, the media will jump on it, whatever you, whatever you say. So just, and I remember sitting in interviews as, as a kid, like almost treading on eggshells, like, oh, I don't know what to say. What's the right thing to say? And I, it almost made me more paranoid. Whereas I feel like, you know, I'm not, I'm not a criminal. There's nothing that I can come out with that's like bad. So why, I just feel like sharing these things and like being open is what athletes should do. And they shouldn't be 
oh, oh I don't want to talk about body image because it's a really sensitive topic and I don't know how it's been going to be construed and I think as an athlete you are taught to you know don't be too controversial or whatever and, and I feel like it's stopped a lot of people being open and I'm just at the point in my career where I just want to be transparent and open if someone asks me oh like you know were you called fat as a, a, a junior you know sometimes like I, back back in my career I would have been like oh no you know everyone was really nice and I never got any you know comments like that and just it's just hiding topics that need to be talked about so I'm I'm always open now and always have to talk about any kind of topics and I've the experience that I've had working with a lot of you know obviously the media are great but they're they're looking for controversy and unfortunately I feel like the British media is some of the worst in the world you know got pole vault friends in America and New Zealand and their media is supportive it's always you know blah 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 does amazing things at the New Zealand champs or whatever yeah. whereas in the UK it's always looking for drama and looking for you know some, you need that headline that captures them and you know I've been caught out a few times where there's been really catchy controversial headlines and you read the article and it's like well where did they get that article yeah. headline from because she didn't say anything of the sorts so you know as an athlete they're going to try and spin something so it, it doesn't really matter what you say they're going to try and spin it in, in a way they want anyway that's so true like we've recently got so sorry if I keep pulling this back to uh, football but that's like my main sport so it's like <laughs> I'm just talking from experience and like we've recently got into basketball and that that those ties like you've just made between American um, media as to UK media is so true like it, I feel like within football in the UK all the footballers that they sound the same like they'll just go into the interview and just like give the general comments and, and won't say something too much out of the ordinary and very limited people actually show their personalities and they do have like personalities like if you've seen them on the training ground they're nothing like what they are in interviews but then if you go over and look at basketball in, in the US like it's like a whole different ball game like everyone's so open like having fun in interviews and it's just so good to see so yeah that the UK media can be a yeah, I, I wish we were more like the US in, in that sense. Yeah, I feel like they've almost like made a rod for their own back. Like because they post all this controversial stuff, athletes like shut off and just say, yeah, my performance was really good today. I'm really happy. Or like, oh, yeah, I just want to improve for next time. They're so basic, not engaging, really boring. Whereas, you know, if a football player, for example, you know, they get ridiculed. So like there's photos of them walking out the front door and it's like, oh what like so much controversy of course they're not going to like say yeah. anything to the media because they just don't want to trip up and give them an in and I feel like if the media were more supportive they would get better reactions from athletes and it's also like from from early so like people like Raheem Sterling like the media have abused him from so young and he probably thinks in his head so from another angle like why am I going to give these guys my time like I'm just going to give the generic answer and get out like I don't want to speak to these guys yeah of course Mm -hmm. yeah it's so, interesting yeah the power of social media it, I, I guess that's pros and cons to it but um but yeah this, yeah like i said we really appreciate you coming on and just being so open about about this topic but um but yeah i think it's a it's a good time to like move on because i i was kind of looking at your stories and i was kind of wanted to like use this as a kind of structure to go through today um and you mentioned uh you sustained quite a lot of injuries at, at a certain point um yeah, injuries is really a topic we're interested in because we sustain quite serious ones in our 
amateur careers. Um, but but yeah, like, what was your kind of experience with the, with injuries? Um, so I started pole vaulting in two, October two thousand and eight, and I had like a really rapid rise. Like within the year, I'd qualified for like um, GB for my junior squad. So I'd really, really, really enjoying it, loving it. You know, every competition I went to was just getting PBs and I thought, God, this is so good. And then I developed like a pain in my foot and I was just at that age where I was like, I'm ignoring it because if I've got pain, it probably means there's something wrong and I won't be able to train. And at the moment, this is like the best time of my life. So just, just going through the pain for a couple of months and then went to English schools, one of like, the biggest competitions for a junior as a kid and in the warm-up I heard like a massive snap and I basically fully snapped my navicular bone so I'd been training on a stress fracture and I thought this sucks because I've then missed my European juniors representing GB for the first time and, and it was just devastating but I decided you know I'm not going to dwell on this and kind of use it I'm going to use this time to work on my upper body I'm going to work on my core get really strong and I came back from it and jumped like a 30 centimeter PB and, and everything was great. And then for like a good two, three years, I was on a roll again up until the 2012 Olympics, didn't have any injuries, was just progressing nicely. And I really felt like I'd become a better person, a better athlete from sustaining that injury. So for me, it was like, oh, this is a positive thing. You know, although I missed out on stuff, look at me now, I'm at my, I'm at my home Olympics after four years of being in the sport. And then, then between 2012 and 2016, 2017 was a massive like rocky patch for me. And if you were to look at all the major champs I went to within that period, you probably could be like, oh, I don't believe that you're injured. You know, I went to, I went to the world indoors, finished in the top eight. I went to the world outdoors in 2015, finished seventh, then went to Rio, finished fifth in 2016. and went to the world champs in 2017, finished seventh. So you think, you know, she's doing a pretty good job. But throughout those four years, I was just absolutely annihilated with injuries. Um, I had a, a, back, a back stress fracture, which I rested for three months, progressed back. It was still painful. So then I rested for a whole six months, like didn't, didn't run, didn't do any core, didn't do anything for six months. And then progress back within the week, my back was still bad. So then had back surgery. So basically in my head, I just wasted 18 months of my career. Um, you know, nine months of which was rest with my back not to heal. So that was just like a devastating blow. And I think that six months of rest really screwed me up for the, for the next three years because I rehabbed my back, came back, tore my meniscus, had to have another knee surgery, then progress back from that. Then my Achilles blew up, ended up having an Achilles surgery in 2016. That never, 2016 was such a bad year. I had Achilles surgery. Then my wound got infected and had to get admitted back to hospital. Then I got a blood clot. So it just was literally one thing after another and then had another surgery in 2017. So it was, it was almost like um, an injury every six months, a surgery every year. Like, how am I ever going to get out of this slump that I'm in? And Eventually I did in 2018, I managed to break out of this injury cycle that I was in. And apart from the occasional hamstring tear, which takes, you know, a week, I kind of consider that injury part of being an athlete. You're going to get tears here and there, but the other, the other ones, they were serious and they were, they were bad. And it took a lot of mental strength and 
you know, change in my mindset to really come out of that and still be in the sport because it really took its toll on me. Yeah, like I, I really resonate with you with like taking positives from the injury. Like I sustained like a really bad football tackle um, to the knee and I was out for six months, like nowhere near as long as you <laughs> in total. But I feel like I grew, I grew up so much from that and I have like this positive outlook on it. Uh, and it's one of the reasons why I actually studied sports psychology, actually, because it really gave me an understanding of how important the mind is uh, when you're in sports. And um, yeah, like I, I've developed like empathy a lot for, for athletes and for, for people going through what I went through. Uh, and I think that's a really important skill in sports, like obviously. Um, but yeah, I completely resonate with you for having like positives from, uh, from the injury experience. Yeah. I feel like my journey is kind of similar to you. Like, you know, I was doing an undergrad in sport and exercise science, you know, wasn't really enjoying it, did biomech, hated it, did physiology, didn't like it, sport psychology modules were my favorite, but I wasn't like mad about it. It was just kind of, oh, I want to get a degree just so I can go into a job, whatever. And then after I was, like, was experiencing all these injuries and, you know, all the, all the media would ask me, oh, if you could have your time again, would you do something different so you didn't get injured? And I was like, no, because these injuries, however much they sucked, I am a totally different person, like mentally, physically, I'm so much stronger. And it really made me think, like you said, you know, I, I felt like I grew so much following this adversity that I, I wanted to get like involved in it. So I got involved in a bit of research into like, okay, well, how do these athletes grow? Like, do all athletes grow after adversity? And it got my mind like thinking so much about psychology. And then I was like, I really want to do an MSc in, in sports psychology. And it kind of put me down that pathway. So I'm very similar to you. Yeah, I wrote, I wrote about the topic of sports injuries uh, for my blog for David Fletcher's module. Yeah. And, uh, and I wrote about like the post-traumatic growth. And it's like, a, it's quite a common thing that athletes um, experience. Um, yeah, just growing after adversity, like you said, and uh, they can have like a total different perception of life. Uh, they can have like a different like life philosophy. They can appreciate things they didn't before. Mm -hmm. I feel like this, like like you said, at the time, it's it's so bad. It's like the worst you could ever be. But afterwards, there's so much positives that can come from it. Yeah. Yeah, I actually did exactly the same for his blog. I did adversarial growth because I know he's a massive researcher in that space. So. And it was what interested me. So yeah, I, I feel like I've definitely, you know, got better relationships with my husband, my family. You know, I've, I think it's going through all that adversity is what helped me to change my mindset. And a lot of elite pole vaulters do, they, they ask me about how they can develop this mindset. And I'm actually mentoring, you know, one of the, you know, she's the world, world record holder for a junior in the pole vault. And I'm mentoring her on how she can change her kind of mindset. Because again, she's like all outcome driven or oh, so much pressure on her shoulders to deliver these performances. Oh, I want to win an Olympic medal. Oh, I want to jump 470. And I think suffering from adversity really helped me develop this um, intrinsic outlook of, you know, I would be doing this anyway. If, the, if I went to an Olympic games and there wasn't medals, or there wasn't positionings, I would do it anyway. Like it's what I love. And that's what athletes lose is that, oh, I want to make money. Oh, that person's getting, you know, 20 grand. Why am I only getting one grand? Like, oh, that's not fair. Or, mm. you know, why have they got a night contract and I don't? And they're all doing it for the wrong reasons. And I think trying to promote this mindset in young athletes, especially like 16, 17, 18 year olds is really important because 
you know, if they get, if they're getting into it thinking they're going to make millions or they're going to be famous or this, it's just, you know, they will, it'll just break them mentally. And sport is hard enough as it is without having all these, you know, external things going on. Yeah, something we really try to promote on this podcast, like intrinsic motivation and doing it for the internal reasons. Like it's basically what our whole course is on at the moment. So, uh, yeah. Um, it's so good but going back to like uh, 2016 when, when you uh, sustained that injury and you rested for like six months I sort of done the same thing I'm not sure like f- from my perspective I was just told like by family and friends like just rest up and it'll be okay like it was sort of during the off season and then my first game back I like done my groin like the first game back and then I was out for longer and that was when I like seeked professional help and sort of tried to identify what was actually wrong um I just thought at the time I'm not sure like obviously you, you're an Olympic athlete so I imagine you were seeking professional support but <laughs> I'm sort of wondering um what's what um what did that experience teach you and like what advice would you give to someone who's done all that rest and then gets injured straight after like what what was going through your head what sort of feelings would you give and then what advice would you give to others yeah, I mean, yeah, I was on, I've been lucky that I've been on lottery funding since 2010. And with that, come, especially in athletics, because we're such a beast of a sport, we have employed doctors, physios, whatever. So, you know, I was getting scans on my back and, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it was a really awkward fracture because, you know, if you've got a wrist fracture, you just cast it and basically the bone can get together because it's a cast, whereas my back you know, you can't cast me in, in a back thing to, so I don't move. So every time I move, you know, the bone, you know, it's not hurting, but the bone moves, so it doesn't knit together. So in the end, obviously, a surgery to pin it together forces it to mend. But I think throughout those six months, I just kind of saw it as um, like, a not, like, although I couldn't do anything physical, um, I just saw it as an opportunity to, you know, I went through waves, I'm going to rest my body, you know, I'm still only young, or even if you are old, um, sometimes a forced rest can be really beneficial. You know, no one ever rests when they're healthy, but they probably should because sport, because you, you're an athlete and you're well-maintained, you're well-trained, you don't, you don't feel like it's taking a toll on you. Like every time you go to the track or you go to the gym, you're smashing your body up and it's not good. Mm. So I think sometimes people need rest, but unless you're injured, you don't rest because why would, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't rest at home. Yeah when I feel healthy like that was one thing from suffering from COVID has been like a massive positive for me is I actually needed two weeks off but I wouldn't have took two weeks off if I was healthy but because I had COVID and I was trapped in my house I had to so I feel like seeing the benefits of you know actually taking some time to rest um, getting your mind reset you know your body's resetting and I think just doing other things to throughout that time to like further yourself I think a lot of athletes think especially in athletics, you know, I'm talking from people I know in athletics, it's, oh, no, I need to rest. I'm so tired from training. I can't do anything else that'll like take away from my session tomorrow. Well, I mean, how many hours of the day are you going to train for? It's only going to be a couple. So I kind of, I'm a big, big advocate of, you know, doing something else with your time, furthering yourself a lot down along the line. And, you know, even if you think, oh, don't worry, I don't need to work. I'm going to make millions. Why not go and volunteer somewhere and like give back and I feel like that's something that could be done in, in that time where you were a bit injured. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about the COVID uh, situation, I know I saw also in an interview that you said that COVID was actually kind of like the injury process for you because it mm-hmm. enabled you to work on stuff once again uh, that you were potentially weaker at. Um, so it's interesting to have that comparison. Um, 
you kind of like yeah. transferred the same situation well I kind of felt like that with lockdown as well like for about a year the the only question I ever got asked in the interview was oh so how are you coping with yeah. lockdown and I was just getting a bit done with that question towards the end because I was like I can only answer it in the same way and you know lockdown for me it wasn't hard because I'd been through so many injuries lockdown was like I'm just going to just re reapply what I've learned in the past. You know, it's almost like the same injury process. What can I do to get myself better? Yeah, yeah, I can't pole vault. No, you know, I've not got a big enough garden that I can sprint or do plyometrics or gymnastics. But what can I do with the resources I've got to make myself better? And it's kind of like that with COVID, you know. Um, you know, I did all the little intricate rehab. I wasn't allowed to do anything that, like, stressed my lungs because it's a, like a respiratory disorder. So... I had to do all this like really boring footwork and really slow and controlled movement that normally, you know, like I'm, I'm quite on it as an athlete, but if you go to the track and you've got sprinting, plyometrics, gym, you know, you get to the end, you've not got time or you've not got the energy to do all that. You know, I'm going to sit there for half an hour and do foot intrinsics. Whereas actually during COVID I could, and I feel like it's been a big benefit. Yeah. I just want to rewind back again. So you mentioned uh, your family. I think like social support for you was quite big. Um, and also for me, like my family were massive when I was injured. Um, and yeah, I just want to get like your your thoughts on how useful it was for you to have this kind of like social support. And yeah, if you have any like inspiration from your family or. Yeah, I think my family and my coach and in particular was really helpful. Um, I remember my like my training partner is married to my coach now, but back in the day, we were kind of like, um, there was me, my training partner, and then my coach. And my training partner was, you know, six, seven, eight years older than me. So she was a big, even though she jumped lower than me, I really looked up to her in terms of like professionalism. And she really was like a shoulder of support for me. And so was, was, was him. And I remember ringing him a couple of times when I was really struggling and we just go out for coffee or we go out for breakfast and it like, you know, took my mind off it. And, you know, having my husband at home, especially like I know a lot of athletes, you know, potentially don't have a partner because they're away traveling. But, you know, I met my husband now before I even really started pole vaulting. So he's been there the whole journey. And, you know, he was a teacher back in Lancashire and I was like, oh, I need to move to Cardiff for my coach. And he was like, don't worry, I'll get a teaching job in Cardiff. So off we went. Then we went to America. Then now we're in Loughborough. So he's just been crazy supportive the whole time whatever we've needed to do he's always been there and yeah of course through um through injuries they're they're really really important and I think the good the thing that I find with good family members good friends is it's like how are you how's your injury yeah it's good okay we're moving on from talking about sport now like what you're getting up to what you did like that to me is really important a lot of my friends don't have a clue what elite sport is you know they'll text me when they see me oh I saw you won that comp well done or oh I saw you at the Olympics well done but that's it and for me that's really important because I I'm I although I'm Holly the pole vaulter first and foremost I'm like Holly the person and mm. it's just something that I do you know I, I do other things I love coffee I like going out for walks <laughs> I love playing football basketball you know I do my MSc in psychology and for me I'm a person and I, I really don't, the worst thing is, is when it's someone only talks to you as Holly the pole vaulter when they're meant to be one of your closest like friends or family. And I'm really lucky that I'm surrounded by people that see me as Holly the person, not just, oh, Holly, the famous pole vaulter or whatever. So that's really important. 
Yeah, so true. Like uh, when when you spoke about the um the co- the coffee lover, it reminded me of one of your stories about like your other hobbies and stuff, and how you like volunteered at a coffee shop. Um, <clears throat> it's so true about like how a lot of athletes have a lot of downtime and um, to sort of like after training, like what have you got to get on with? Like you just need to like rest up, but it's about making use of that time. And uh, yeah, me and John are both also coffee lovers, so yeah. Uh, <laughs> We should come to your future coffee shop uh, <laughs> in Loughborough. But, um, but yeah, it's kind of like having different identities, isn't it? Like, it's not having your, like, unique identity in pole vaulting. It's like, like you said, um, other hobbies as well. And I feel like that's super important. Um, Oli, we talked about this in the in the, in the Released Academy episode. Yeah. That it's, it's kind of good to have this different identity because once you get cut, it's, it's difficult. You can really struggle especially when you come out so like what is the um sort of career span for a pole vaulter like when do they sort of retire i would say like generally in athletics you become successful around like you know if you've made the transition from a junior athlete to a senior you're probably getting success around like 22 23 and then anywhere up to the age of like 33 for any event really so you've probably got like a 10-year um, career to mm. be successful at the top if you you know make the transition but the, the really unique thing about athletics is um there's not many that sustain you know a top 10 in the world for 10 years you'll get someone burst onto the scene have two good years and then you won't see them again and you'll be like that's confusing or whatever or they might burst onto the scene just for one year and then off they go and because it's not because it's an individual sport it kind of fluctuates a lot, which is why it is really impressive when you've got like a Mo Farah who operates, you know, in the medalist zone for how long has it been now? You know, 10 yeah. years, 12 years, whatever. So, yeah. So I think it's like important to like identify that and sort of for other athletes to realize that they do need to like widen their identities and, and have other things going on in their life. So something I like try to promote and like uh, interest of mine is about released academy players and them sort of um, having a wider identity outside of just professional football. So sort of promoting education a little bit. Because when they are released or, for example, like when, when people retire or their one or two years of, of being in that athletic sport is, is sort of done and they're outside of like the top 10 or, or the sport completely, like they need something to fall back on rather than just this one ticket to being like a, an Olympian and winning gold. Like what have they got to fall back on? So it's so important to promote that. Yeah, it's like, it's a really like difficult topic because... I'm like a big advocate of trying to get young athletes doing other things. And it's it's hard because the mentality of an athlete is, I want to win, I want to be the best, I'm going to have full commitment, whatever. And you need that, of course you need that. And especially as a young, a young athlete, but that goes completely against preparing for your life after sport because it's totally contradictory. But you know, we have performance lifestyle advisors that work alongside British athletics. I would, I'd be pretty sure that 80% of the athletes will never see the performance lifestyle advisor. No, you know, I'm going to make it. I'm going to be the next MoFar. I'm going to make millions. And it's so difficult to tell these athletes, you know, that's so slim that, you know, yeah. especially in athletics, there's not a lot of money. Unless you're a MoFar or a Usain Bolt, you need to work straight out of athletics. Mm. And it's trying to educate them on this, you know, yeah, you, you might be the best. And I really hope you are like, you need to aspire to be like that, but you need to prepare for doing something else. 
And it's really difficult to get athletes, especially young athletes doing that. And, you know, I, I have this, this battle with training partners or, um, you know, friends, and it's, it's about seeing an athletic identity, not as a threat. It's not like, well, I want my athletic identity. I don't want to have anything else. You know, I know women in athletics who don't want to change their name after getting married because, oh no, no one will know me as this name and people will forget me. And I'm like, that, that doesn't you know having other identities would stop that you know like me yeah. I love coffee and I'm doing an MSc sports psychology I'm doing mentoring for young athletes I've got lots of different things which are important to me as, as well as athletics and I think you know that needs to be promoted more so true like the, the, I, f- I feel like the media and some some coaches who aren't really um too educated on psychology like promote this like all or nothing like you need to dedicate your whole youth to being good at this sport so you've got a chance of going pro when the like statistics in in football is like 90 percent of people actually don't even make it in, the, in these academies and then they've got nothing to fall back on so yeah I, I, I suppose that's our job to like try and go into these organizations and, and try and um promote a widened identity so when it eventually happens the the psychological distress afterwards isn't as thing because there is positive transition factors what you can in- include i've done a lot of reading around um it's taylor and agilvy um model and it's like about career, career transitions and there's positive transition factors and negative transition factors i'm not sure whether you could shed some light on this in athletics, but I know in football, like negative transition factors include things like involuntary career termination. So like they sort of don't get a choice. They sort of go into a meeting and then they'll come out. They've either got a contract or they haven't. Um, and positive transition factors include things like appropriate career planning. So they've got some, they, they sort of know what the next step is. So I feel like you, you've got that. And, and this organization, what you talk about in athletics, it seems that, it's good that they've got that in there, but it's about sort of making that tie with, with the athlete. You, yeah. Is there any way like they could do that a little bit better? Do you think? Well, I think the difficult thing with athletics is it's very, unlike football, which I feel is quite subjective. Athletics is objective. You know, I know I need to jump 470 and I'll qualify for the Olympics. Mm. So it's really difficult to tell someone you can't jump 470 and qualify for the Olympics. Cause they're like, well, I can, and I'm going to, in the next couple of years um so it's almost those objective markers in athletics keep people in the sport and keep their eyes so set on that no no I need to focus on this I can't have any more distractions and I think then you know you've got oh I need to jump this or run this and then I'll get on the funding um program it's it's really difficult because it is so objective you know in football they could be the best player in the world but if someone doesn't think that they're not going to get a contract Whereas it's kind of slightly different. And I think it's, it's, it's hard to get the balance of keeping the optimism in the athletes whilst telling them to prepare. And I think one of the issues is it's, is typical British old school sport culture. And we see it in athletics all the time. It's like no pain, no gain, you know, hard you work, the more success you'll have. No, like, and you know, like, believe in yourself and you can do anything no like that's totally the wrong kind of messaging to be given to young athletes because you can't just believe and you'll achieve it like I no matter how much I believe in myself if I can't win an Olympic gold medal I can't win it like and I think trying to promote to do as best as you like in like a holistic kind of approach do as best as you can 
you know, that's great. Train as hard as you want, like, as you can, you know, and you'll still get success. But not, it's almost like in the off chance you fail, it's, well, let's do other things. And it's not, it's not just in case you fail. It's, well, why not? You know, you're training three hours of the day. You're sleeping for 10, that's 13 hours. You've got another 11 hours. Why don't you go and volunteer down at a football club or volunteer at a coffee shop because you want to learn how to make coffee you know it doesn't have to be of let's prepare you for life after sport when you don't make it it's well why not go and do all these other things that you want to do yeah it's a really interesting perspective and uh yeah it's, it's good that you're sharing the way you see it um because yeah it, it makes totally sense to us yeah um, that objective thing where like you hit a certain number and you, you like i imagine people just train towards them numbers and like in the hope that they do actually hit it and yeah once once they do like it's sort of like they're in the olympics then whereas football is is renowned for being known as the game of opinions so like yeah politics i didn't actually think of it like that um in, in athletics and it's definitely gave me a new perspective on it um, yeah the psychology like- in athletics you'll just see every so often every four or five years someone or come out of nowhere like they'll be nowhere near the olympic qualifying standard and then they'll just have a blinder and they'll qualify and it's that one 0.00 whatever one percent that people hold on to they yeah. don't the 99 percent of people who didn't make it they see this one case and hold on to it it's like that's going to be me i'm like i credit that like that's a good attitude to have but it's so damaging because you know, that is, you've got to realize that is the 0.00 whatever percent. And everyone who's thinking they're going to be that next person, it just creates this monster of, I'm just going to work at Burger King and not further myself to prepare for after life after athletics. And you'll just see 35 year olds in the sport, like, oh, okay, what now? Like, I've not got an education. I've not done anything with the last 15 years to develop myself as a person. And they're just like lost and don't know what to do. And it is really sad. Yeah, it should become like a trend to have that, like other like other options. Like rather than only being, oh yeah, I've got good results. It should be a trend to be like, oh, look at me. I'm doing this, 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 this. I'm studying this like you're doing, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, like the mentality kind of has to shift like from what I'm seeing. Um, yeah, it needs yeah. to not be, oh, what a chore. I've got to go home and do lectures. All I want to do is rest. It's like, actually, I want to go and I want to do this. And I want to, yeah. It's not focused on the long term, is it? It's really short term. Yeah, um, very short term. I think parents play a huge role in that. And um, from what I've seen on these stories, like your parents play a huge role in in your upbringing and maybe your mindset, if you want to like shed some light on that and, and how they've influenced that. Yeah, I think it was just, I mean, I come from like a quite, you know, I, I, I'm definitely... I would say middle class, you know, we weren't underprivileged, but we definitely didn't have a lot of money. It was, you know, we, we lived in, I shared a room, a bedroom with my sister until I was 12 year, years old. And then when, when I got my own bedroom, it was like a big deal. And, you know, we just lived in a very understated house and they, they just were really supportive in whatever I wanted to do. You know, they could tell from a young age that I had so much energy to like burn off. So would, you know, sent me off to football and when I wanted to do gymnastics, that's what I did you know I'd come home from school like oh I want to try this now and yeah it, it just was it was never a question in their mind of no no you're doing gymnastics because you've done this for 10 years now and yeah. you're just getting good and you know we've put all this money in you know you you need to do it and become good it was never that it was I, I don't want to do gymnastics anymore I don't like going 
I want to do football. It was like, yeah, cool. We'll just pay for that now or whatever. And, you know, like I said, in the stories, uh, if I had training on a, a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, you know, they took me, you know, when I was 16 years old and I started pole vault, my mum would drive me to Manchester, which was a 45 minute journey. You know, she'd just done a full day at work. Come and come and took me 45 minutes to Paul Vault, went and sat in Asda's cafe having probably a terrible coffee. <laughs> that, like she, she definitely, you know, didn't want to be doing that, but she did because it's what I wanted to do. And like with that support, it just as you know, it obviously meant a lot to me. And as a kid, you you just totally take it for granted, underappreciate yeah, it. And now as an adult I'm like wow what they did was was really special and has kind of made me the person I am and given me the opportunities so yeah that kind of support was really really valuable yeah yeah to be fair like my my parents are kind of similar too like my family like they're not at all interested in sports or football like my dad's like into aviation and stuff but he'd still come out and like sit in the car with like when I had training or like yeah have games and yeah like in the uh, like 9 a.m. kickoffs, like in the rain, they'd be there, you know. Like, it's yeah, hey, you, <laughs> you couldn't sit my mum down to watch a game on the tele, but if she was watching me, she's my biggest cheerleader, like, so involved, like, cheering me on. Like, people say they don't want to stand next to my mum on the side of the pitch because she's just shouting, <laughs> but uh, yeah, my mum and dad, like, they were so supportive to me as well, and um, in, in everything that I wanted to do, like, wh- whichever sport that was, and I feel like that's so key for that because uh, what we're taught on our course about process and and praise feedback, like it, it seems as though like your parents supported you in anything that you did and sort of uh, gave you feedback towards the process and like if you work hard at this then or if you have good strategy in this then yeah you can you can do whatever you you, you want and um, that's so key. So the role of parents is so so influential on on, on what you want to do like in the future man, that can be with anything so i saw uh the, miss taylor and her influence on you um <laughs> shout yeah, out miss really taylor <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i mean like yeah my parents were super supportive and like my mum was almost the psychologist so when i did bad it was never she would never ever make me feel like bad for doing bad or like she would never get too stoked if i was good like she was very much like kind of promoted the very level mindset of you know just do it because you love it and and whatever and she would I remember so many like talks in the car where I'd be really upset and she'd like talk me around like a sports psychologist where she'd be like think about the positives and you know what can you take away from this and I, I now I'm doing sports psychology I think back to that and think oh okay she like actually knew what she was on about yeah yeah Miss Taylor she was like <laughs> real inspiration um I'm still like in touch with her now like she's been so like pivotal in 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 getting me into athletics and inspiring me from that like that real crucial age you know coming out of primary school you know I don't I I don't even remember half the the teachers like they didn't really I don't I think feel like at that age they don't make a massive impact but Mm. I remember when I was in we had like a netball tryouts like the first couple of weeks and I remember going to that and she was so bubbly and like so inspiring I just thought I was like 11 years old and was like, wow, who is this person who like seems like they really care about me, even though they don't know me from any other kid. And I just think from then I was like super inspired and anything she was involved in, I just wanted to be involved in. And 
I, uh, for a while, I wanted to be a PE teacher because that's what she was. And I just, it was just that real influential age of, you know, loving sport and throwing myself into anything. And then, you know, like everyone does, they get involved in athletics at the high school. And I just seemed to be good at everything and like come like top three and everything. And that's kind of what had my drive to then go and try athletics outside of school. I think it's so cool how like teachers and, and coaches and, and parents can like influence like what you want to do as a career. Like you talk about wanting to be a PE teacher. The main reason like why I decided to pursue an undergrad in psychology is because I was at Loughborough College and um, I did a sports science and I sort of just went in with an open mindset because I knew I wanted to do sport, but I didn't, I didn't really know what. And I just feel that biomechanics and, and the physiotherapy and all of that, it, it didn't really interest me. But then the way the psychology teacher, his name's Danny Lee, the way he taught it, um, it just really, it was just so engaging and it really influenced me to go and pursue it further. So uh, shout out Danny Lee for, um, <laughs> <laughs> for doing that for me. Um, yeah. Realise the impact they can, like, well, maybe they do realise, but they can have, real impacts on like people's lives just from like you say with I'm pretty sure the first lecture you had with him you thought oh this is amazing like this has made me like what I want to do and I feel like it's a really crucial age you know between 12 and 18 for where you want to develop what you want to do and I think it can be really crucial for, for teachers being like inspiring yeah 100%. yeah for sure I didn't really have any teachers I think that were that really impacted my uh that's just belgium for you yeah <laughs> no shout outs for the belgian teachers today <laughs> um, john john does his fair share of uh riffing into the uk so it's uh it's deserved that i riff into the belgium <laughs> i do riff into the in belgium also you know uh, no he doesn't i do <laughs> oh my word but um but yeah we kind of wanted to move on so we talked about like your uh, career as a, like as an athlete now we want to kind of talk about uh your professional career in sports psychology so afterwards so tell us your plans what, what are your plans well I did I was after 2016 um a woman called Karen Howells she put out this thing on Facebook or not Facebook Twitter and was like any Olympians want to do take part in my research um I could really do with your help and I remember do my undergrad dissertation trying to get athletes to sign up to do my like questionnaire or interviews and I was like it was such a nightmare so I thought I'm going to message her and I'm going to make the effort because I know how hard it is to collect data so I did this interview with her and that was fine it was on like the post-olympic blues because after 2016 I like suffered a little bit with the post-olympic blues and um, so I thought why not do you know get involved in her research and be a participant and then she contacted me, it must have been like six months, a year after saying, oh, I want to do some more research on the post-Olympic Blues. You know, the information that I got, I feel like it's really important and we need to do a bit more research on this to try and get it out there as like a phenomenon that athletes are experiencing because, you know, I feel like as an Olympian, it's it's really, you can't complain. You can't come home and be like, oh, I'm really sad. It's people like, you've just been to the Olympics, like grow up. I feel like that's the perception. Whereas athletes can really suffer with like depression anxiety you know such feelings of like sadness after the olympics that she was really passionate about getting that message out there and so was i because it was something that i'd experienced so i partnered with her and a mental health expert and we decided to 
do some more research into the post-Olympic Blues and we're actually getting, well, we're hoping to get it published in April this year. So that'll be good to be like, um, get an art, well, journal, like kind of piece of research published. And it kind of like, it kind of got me thinking, actually, I feel like this is what I want to do. I want to think of a research question that helps people, helps athletes, helps elite sport people or whatever, and do research to like raise awareness on it. And that kind of what made me get into this embassy as well. Like I want to, I think afterwards, I want to be a sports psychology researcher and potentially lecture on whatever topic is, you know, my speciality. Yeah, it's interesting. I didn't think you would go through the researcher route. I thought you were going to go through the practitioner route because obviously you have all that experience, you know, on-field experience. So. Yeah, I I mean, I've got a sports psychologist that I've, I see regularly, like pretty much every month. We talk every month. And for a while, I was face-to-face seeing her every month because in 2013, when I got all my injuries, I um, got partnered with this sports psychologist and she's been a massive impact on my career and my life and I've basically been seeing her ever since so you know we're coming up for like eight nine years of seeing her and I always just thought I can't do what she's doing like obviously one of those stories was on social anxiety and the thought of sitting in a room with someone who's got a problem it just filled me with dread like what would I say to them what if I didn't know what to say what if it was awkward I just thought no I've, I've just not got the skills to like I, I, I tend to think I've not got like the gift of the gab like if I if you said you know do a five minute you know presentation on your achievements I'd have to rehearse it for like a week like I need to know that I'm prepared for it so you know it's my idea of a nightmare just having someone in a room I don't know what's wrong with them and just kind of going along with it but actually doing this module um, with Chris has made me think oh like it's actually quite interesting being a sports psychologist and I do feel like with my experience, I could be quite good, but I don't know. I'm still leaning towards like the researcher kind of element of it, I guess. Yeah. yeah you could do both. Uh, you, yeah. could, you could always do both. Like you could always go into it afterwards because yeah, you might, I don't know, you might want to have different experiences. Like when, like after what, like five years of researching, you might want to like go out and make uh, like a real world impact, impact yeah. Yeah. and that's a that's a fixed mindset what you're adopting there so we're gonna yeah. have to work on the growth okay <laughs> <laughs> you can you can develop these skills you can these this is the main reason why we started this podcast to sort of um like if you told us during our undergrad like we were going to do this or even before we stepped into david fletcher's module for the first time and he told us we were going to do the blog like we were anxious like we was like how are we going to do this and and then when he was like to promote it, sort of go on podcasts and stuff. I just like posted John like at Christmas, let's let's start a podcast together. And uh, we've always thought about making content, and we've we've just found it so like so good for our development in terms of talking. I feel like it, how much like <laughs> on our undergrad, John, how bad were presentations like? I'm terrible at presentations. I feel like I'm not the best now, and I was I'm I I'm so anxious like. Like, I'm the sweaty, like, I get so sweaty before, before presentations, like. Like, I, I'm like, I don't know, I can't, I know, like, with the whole fixed growth mindset, I promote it, but it's almost like I can't do it myself. Yeah. I don't, like, when, when I was younger, like, if you'd have told me that even I was just doing this, I wouldn't, I'd be like, no, I can't do that, I can't answer random questions, like, that'd be awful, and 
even with um, Anthony's module where we had to do the presentation mm. online, oh my God, I had to rehearse it so many times. My husband <laughs> was so annoyed with me. He was like, you know it. You've just said it to me. You've, you've said it to me five times and you've said it the same words every time you're ready. But I still had to keep rehearsing it. Like I was ringing my mom. So like, mom, can I do a practice rehearsal on you? I don't know. There's just something about like, like in lockdown, I was doing these live, um, not Q and A's, but live um, showings of like exercises for Paul Vault, Paul Walters around the UK who maybe didn't have the bank of exercises I had in my mind. And because I, I was doing them live for the hour before, I was like, like so nervous, sweaty palms. Felt I, like at one point I was pacing, and Paul was like, my husband, he's like, "What are you doing? <laughs> pacing? Like, yeah. I'm so nervous." And it always goes well, but I can't. Like Paul, he always says to me, like, think of the last time it, anything you've done has gone wrong, like when you've not answered it right or it's gone terribly. And the, my response to that is, yeah, well, the further I get away from the last time I did it wrong, the more likely it is to happen. And he's like, listen to yourself. So it's almost like I can teach people about a growth mindset and whatever, but it's like hard for me in my own head to like, to like process it. It's so true. Like we, like we've been preaching like sports psychology. Cause we have quite a big sports psychology uh, following on Instagram. It's like we need to practice what we preach because, like that Anthony's module, or like the question that he was going to ask us, like individually, like that was the thing I was most anxious about. And like, I just building like all these scenarios up in my head, and it's like I need to take some of my own advice and just yeah, just just work on my own psych. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know how many times we've said this. Like we should be literally applying what we've what we're being taught and what we're like information we're giving out to these podcasts but we're not doing it <laughs> what, what's the issue here yeah, <laughs> so I, I was so anxious for this questioning that I just like one of our friends I was like can you just text me random messages and I'll just like come back with an answer so I'm practiced and I had like taped around my screen all these different scenarios that might play out and I was like what are you doing? Stop it. Yeah. So how does that work? So you're stressed for a presentation, but when you've got thousands of eyes looking at you competing, <laughs> no problem. Honestly, I was more nervous for Anthony presentation than I was walking out to the Olympic final. Like that is mad. It, it, it's, like, it's like my like natural habitat. When, when I'm out there, I can just be in the zone. I'm like, it doesn't phase me like I, I'm almost like just there on my own it's like there's no one there London 2012 was the most insane thing I've ever experienced in my life like I came out I was 20 years old I came out and everyone started screaming just because I was a British athlete and I was like okay that's weird and I'd walk it'd be quiet it'd be like just hustle and bustle I'd walk over to my coach and all the people around my coach would be like Woo! cheering and I was like I was so confused like what is good it was just so overwhelming the support and like even then I was way less stressed than I was just for like an interview on the BBC or whatever it's so strange that's giving me goosebumps what you just described there <laughs> I can't imagine how it must be like that stadium is massive as well and oh yeah. my word there's a yeah. video on YouTube which gives me goosebumps now and I remember with the pole vault you get three attempts at a bar and obviously the perfect Play, the perfect thing is to clear it first time you move on to the next one but the the worst nightmare as a pole vaulter is to be on your third attempt but on your third attempt at your opening bar 
because it's just, you know, you're about to know how high you're about to stop the competition and whatever. And the nerves you feel on a third attempt anyway are incredible. So I was in the London Olympic final and the weather was terrible. It made the competition so hard. But third attempt opening bomb stood at the back of the runway and I'm thinking, I'm about to bomb out of my home Olympic final. And the video, if you watch it on YouTube, it just, you can hear as I'm running the crowd growing, the noise getting louder, louder, louder. And it's, and I just remember running down. I was like, oh my God, I can't focus. And I cleared the bar and the crowd just went insane. And I just thought, you can see in the video, just random people jumping up and down cheering. I'm like, you don't even know me. Like, how are you so into this? But the, the noise was just insane. It was, it was something I've never experienced before in my life and never will. Yeah, I definitely won't, but that is like yeah. unbelievable. <laughs> we'll get, we have the Sunday league, like locals that come down. Yeah. <laughs> but, oh my God. Like literally I'm getting goosebumps. Like I'm just picturing everything right now. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, but yeah, you kind of mentioned that you, you're, you're into mentoring. So are you like kind of coaching uh, a few pole vaulters, like upcoming pole vaulters or? So I'm not doing any, co I was coaching before COVID and now it just complicates things. But there's actually, I think there's like eight of us have set up this um, athlete mentoring scheme. It's called Athlete Connect. And there's me, Adam Jamili, Emily Diamond, Sophie McKinnon. It's like um, eight of us. And we basically, um, we wanted to give, we're all kind of seasoned athletes now. We've been in the sport for 10 or more years. We've been to multiple Olympics, major champs. And we just wanted to, give back because we're all of the same kind of mindset of we need to educate these young athletes to keep them in the sport to make sure they're focusing on the right things and we basically um through British Athletics invited all the the youth talent program which is like 300 athletes we um invited them on a Facebook group and we put on like recipes little messages for like you know what's it like going into a call room what's it like behind the scenes and we do monthly calls um, I just did one last week on sponsorship funding um, life, you know, a, away from the track. And, you know, we've done one on, I think, um, KJT, um, po po Andrew Posse and Adam are doing one next month on what's it like to train abroad and like the American kind of university system. So it's all these different topics and then they just come on, can answer questions. And it's just a forum for them to like pick our brains and just learn from us and it's just something we're very passionate about but we do it all for free like we don't charge it's it's just to help the athletes that no, sounds really good that you're doing that and um yeah no that sounds really good but uh as you know we um we asked our audience on instagram and and the followers and stuff and uh about any if they've got any questions for you so we'll uh we'll ask them you now i know john asked the french community in and they were uh, really receptive and had plenty of questions for you so yeah they um, were nice. yeah i posted it on like a french uh like facebook group and like like i'd say like about 10 questions for you so well, wait the, i just the french love paul walks they've obviously got renault um they're just mad for it oh uh, do you know if there's any like good belgian ball waters <laughs> Oh. Um, yeah, actually, there's a guy called Ben Broders who jumped like 580 last year. Um, okay. he, I think he might have even qualified for the World Champs final, but he's pretty, he's really decent. And then there is a girl. Um, she she was at the European indoors, um, so she's solid as well. Yeah, they're, they're probably from the Dutch area, not from the French area where I'm from. So uh, there's Maybe. a rivalry. I don't know if you know, but <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah. So the first question. So how did you kind of 
Well, we kind of answered this, but I'll, I'll re say it anyway. Yeah. So, how did you come across sports psychology, uh, like in your career? How did you come across it? Um, the first time I had like a couple of poor experiences with sports psychology where um, it was just really like formal and oh, uh, like just like going through questions, how are you feeling? And I just felt really like detached from it. And I felt like it was just a process to go through. Whereas when I met up with Sarah, who's my sports psychologist now, she was, it was just like a chat. And honestly, like most of our chats are just us chatting a load of crap, but she's like so unique in that she's like take, she's like reading me all the time. And like, although I'm not feeling like that. And then she comes back and says like, oh, well, how, how, how did this make you feel? And that, and you almost, I don't feel like I'm in a sports psychology session with her. So when I met her, I was like, really into it and like felt like I got really good benefits and you know even like last month when I was in um France on a do waiting for a competition I was in quarantine so I didn't have a lot going on and I, I rang her and I was like look I just feel like my confidence I it takes ages to build but then as soon as I have like one knock it's like it's back to square up square one I was like I feel so unconfident she was like she spoke to me for ages and we were just chatting and then she kind of was like don't think it was she was like are you ready and I was like yeah I'm ready she was like well confidence just ignore it like confidence isn't a thing like if you're ready then that's all you need to know like and I was like whoa like that just like hit home with me and I was like no I, I don't need to be confident I'm ready and then I, I just like went and jumped my second best bar ever like five yeah. days later and I was like that was so powerful just in the way that she phrased it and I think just working with her made me really value how important sports psychology is and how crucial the mind is. Because I just think there's so many sports psychologists out there that ruin sports psychology for athletes by just making it like monotonous and like, well, fill out this questionnaire and how does that make you feel? And it's like, well, this is just crap. And I feel like I had so many of those, whereas she was so different. And it was like, we just developed this really great bond and she like, we, we work together so well and any challenges I have within like a couple of weeks, they're like fixed. I feel like that's so key for like sports psychologists and something like we're really trying to promote. The main reason, again, one of the reasons why we started this podcast is because we feel a lot of sports psychologists are so serious all the time. And I just think having, I feel like we're trying to become like approachable to for athletes to just come into us and have a chat and, and coaches to come to us and have a chat. I feel like that's something we're trying to promote that we are approachable people. And yeah, we, we're just there yeah. for, for a chat and stuff. I feel like doing a especially this module is professional practice it just seems like quite rigid and because I've had a lot of experience and I don't know whether it is you know you know when you do your driving lessons and you've got to keep your hands on the wheel and you've got to look in your mirrors and then when you come out of that it just all goes out the window and you like can be more adaptable I don't know whether that's what it's like in sports psychology but doing the professional practice I'm, I'm almost like constantly questioning it and relating to it like Mm, that wouldn't work for me and I'm sure you know the rigidity and like how boring it is just wouldn't work for a lot of you know practical athletes so it has made me question like and it's made me like all like you say like look at different methods and you want to be approachable and you want to be like fun and do you need to go through all those like stupid questionnaires even though there's like loads of literature to suggest that's what you should do yeah do you know what I think it is I think it's the philosophy so like we all have these different perspectives and philosophies and 
I'm very much like you. I'm like humanistic. I love having that bond and that relationship with the person I'm working with. So, and that goes completely, completely against the question that kind of root. So it's probably that like maybe, yeah, the people we're like working with, like in our lectures, they might have one philosophy. And, and yeah. There's no right, there's no one correct like, philosophy yeah. of, a way of doing things. And some, some ways might work for other athletes and some, some may work for others. Like it's all individualistic and, I think athletes should re like rather than just have it doing that like oh I got a sports psychologist didn't work for me so that sort of sports psychology in a bin. I think try out a few different ones and and sort of see which works for you because yeah a lot a lot of people have different philosophers. Yeah, and that just like show goes to, like imagine if I'd not just if I after after I'd seen the first couple of psychologists like nah I'm not. I'm not into this I'm not going to see another one you know I would never have found Sarah and she yeah. works very differently so if I feel like what you just said is important like if you didn't get a good vibe from one don't just bin it like you know look out other psychologists and like see see how they work and things yeah yeah for sure okay so moving on to the second question um when competing, uh, what sports psychology strategies do you use the most? So say if you're like, you're out there at the Olympics, so have you employed any sports psychology strategies? So one big one that I use, not in the moment really, but it's like mindfulness and like controlled breathing um, in and around competition, especially on the day, you know, I'll try and I'll do like a nap, like I have like a timeline and breakfast at this time, lunch at this time, then I'll have a nap. And more often than not, I won't sleep because it's like three o'clock in the afternoon and I don't need a nap but I'll just spend half an hour listening to like sleep music or a mindfulness podcast and just do like controlled breathing but I think one of the I, I mean I use like sports psychology so much in everything that I do um like I, at the moment I'm doing like self-reflection every week what's going what went good this week what went bad you know what's good in terms of physical mentality body whatever I have like a document that I fill out every week um, but I think one of the biggest things for me has been like the um, like trigger words. So instead of focusing on, oh, I want to clear the bar, it's like um, toilet takeoff, kick the legs, swing my legs up or something like that. You know, the ones that I used indoors was like tall, chest in, go. And that for me is like really helps my process. It's like I'm almost process driven then instead of thinking, oh, I want to clear the bar, I want to clear the bar, oh, I didn't clear the bar. It's like, it doesn't matter what jump it is. These are the three things that I'm thinking about. And then it almost takes anxiety, nerves, um, and all of that out of it. I think that's been the biggest thing. Yeah, a lot of people are quite like stressed and anxious about the external things like um, the crowd and, and clearing the bar and stuff. And something I studied uh, on my undergrad was pre-performance routines and sort of adopting things like that um within and i found it to decrease stress and anxiety that was in penalty kicks but i know in the literature it's so um it's like prevalent in, in all sports really so yeah, yeah that's a super good strategy it just like makes sense like people who stand there and don't think of anything like you know if i stood at the back of the room and didn't think of anything everything would be creeping in like oh it's really loud or oh it's really like especially at covid at the minute you can be sitting at the back of the run and it's silent and it's like, ew, this is horrible. Whereas if I'm like toilet takeoff, kick the leg, I'm fine. And I actually felt a bit awkward um, doing an interview because they were like, oh, is it, does it suck not having the crowd? And, you know, I felt like I should have said, yeah, it sucks. I love the crowd, but it was like, you know, I'm so in the zone thinking about my process that, you know, someone could be shouting a meter away down my ear hole. And I wouldn't hear them because I'm so focused in the zone. So yeah, I think 
that kind of like pre pre vault or whatever routine is really important. I think a lot of athletes are gonna are gonna really like listen to that and 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 use that on a on a regular basis now because yeah, it's such a such a important point uh, that you've brought up there. So key. I've, I watch videos of you and you can really see in your head that you're like telling yourself stuff like 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 you know what I mean like you can really tell yeah. <laughs> on a lot of the jumps I'm there and I'm like like a deep breath in and out I'm really like trying to compose myself and like not because the thing that me and my coach really struggle with at the minute is um a lot of athletes that are you know they're not process driven they're driven on like emotion and it's like getting hyped like and 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 I'm not like that like even for like a PB clean I don't want someone in the gym like come on come on you got like I don't want that I've got my processes in my head and I need to be very level and sometimes in the training environment I'll be stood at the back of the run and I'll get come on Hall, let's go and I'm like I don't need that in training and I, I mean I don't really need that in comp because I'm so calm this is what I'm thinking about I'm taking a breath then I'm going to think about first eight strides feet down into the box toilet takeoff whatever and I think that for me is important to keep like level and like you don't have highs and lows. You're just very on a level and you can just almost like get the job done. It's so Yeah, that's such a such a good point. It shows like your level of so it sort of li- links to the um, arousal theory, like individual zones of optimal functioning and that different people uh, are better at different levels of arousal. So you, you need it quite low, whereas other athletes like. I'll just say people like Diego Costa, like he he needs to be quite erratic and like he needs to be hyped up. Weightlifters, um, like you see people just slapping their back before things and like shouting at each other. Like, so it's definitely for um, different different people. You need different levels of optimal arousal. Yeah, definitely. Yep. So the third question I feel like you can't answer already. It was uh, what do you tell you, like what do you say to yourself in your mind before uh, like the jump, like you've yeah yeah so it i mean it really it i mean as i've got more like seasoned athlete it's not really varied that much it's just basically whatever we're working on in training and for me cues are massive so in the training environment i remember this was in like october i came back training and i was I was jumping and i was coming away from sessions like yeah it was solid like my husband will always go how is training but oh solid you know nothing to write home about it was just okay and then um my coach said to me in one session he's like um just try like chest in a bit take off and I was like okay tried it and the like it was the difference between jumping four meters and 440 like it changed the jump so much that I could clear 40 centimeters high and I thought oh that felt nice so chest in again and it just unlocked something and I mean, there's been times in the past where he's said a, a random cue and it's just not twigged in my mind. He's like, oh, feet up to the ceiling. And I'm like, no, I just can't feel it. Whereas there's certain cues, like at the minute, tall, chest in, and then I I kick my left leg like I'm booting a football. And that just, all of those cues come together to create a really nice jump. Yeah. So whatever's working for me at the minute is what I'm thinking about. So all the way through, I mean, the run structure for me is important, which is why um being over aroused isn't good because I need to be very strong because I'm quite fast um I can get carried away whereas I need to almost be at 80 percent in the first eight strides and then I can attack over the last six and if I get hyper aroused I just go crazy and I've got nowhere to go so for me it's you know 
think what like what I'm thinking about when you see me on the runway is just whatever I need to execute. So it might be tall kick or on the thing with pole vault, which is unique as well, is um, some some days it comes like that and some days it doesn't. So I'll go to a competition and my run will be on. So Scott's like, okay, you, you can park the cues for your run. You just need to think about being tall. Whereas the next competition, my run might not be on. So it's like, right, you need to go back to thinking about your run up today. And then the jump can take care of itself. So it's very just situation dependent. Oh, yeah, that, it's good how it's yeah, situation dependent and like what sort of cues work for you. That's, uh, that's very interesting. Um, so the final question from the viewers that we've picked out is um, what advice as an overall would you give to a, a young and upcoming pole vaulter? Um, the advice that I always give is don't get too far away from why you're doing it. And I'm pretty sure any young athlete or athlete, depending on, doesn't matter what old, what age they are getting into sport, is you, you do it because you love it because you start at, at a level where you don't, you're not even thinking about oh, I want to go to the Olympics or oh, I want to win an Olympic medal or oh, I want to make hundreds of thousands from this. You go down and you, you come week after week because you just love it and you enjoy it. And it's just something that you're passionate about. And I think when you start getting like kit sponsors involved, oh, funding, you know, I'm not that far away from funding. And actually I could be going to the Europeans next year. You totally forget why you ever started, which is because you love it. And I think it's that's more de detrimental like there's no no one's ever kind of not performed well when they're not enjoying it and that's mm -hmm. kind of what I believe so I always just say don't get too far away from why you do it and that's because you love it because that's kind of what my journey's been on and I fell out of love with the sport and I wanted to prove to people that I was good enough and I just got in this spiral of not performing well and then the next time I performed I needed to perform even better but I perform even worse and then the net and it was just a spiral out of control situation and when I found love for it and actually I just love this my performances went up and I performed I've been performing well ever since so I think that's super crucial. No it's definitely some uh, good advice for for young and upcoming pole vaulters and I feel like throughout this podcast if you like there are definitely some gems in there what what pole vaulters will be able to take away from that but uh, that being the final question of the um from the viewers um it's a good time to sort of wrap up so we hope you enjoyed this episode and we sort of give like our guests uh, like a couple of like a minute or so to sort of shout out anything that they're doing or your socials and that yeah your socials will be in the description so yeah is there anything um i guess i've covered it all just for me like the important thing is whether you're a pole vault or listening to this or just an athlete is to have that right kind of holistic mindset of enjoying it loving it still trying to further yourself whilst trying to be the best you are um it, as an athlete and I think you know the mentoring that I've talked about we're very much promoting that and you know a lot of the sports psychology work that I'm doing as part of my MSc is all about you know that kind of growth mindset always trying to learn and that kind of results in higher performances so that's just really the messaging that I would suggest yeah okay so uh, we'll definitely be rooting for you in uh, Tokyo. We uh, can't wait for that. Um, <laughs> we hope uh, everyone enjoyed like listening to this episode. If you could uh, please share it with like your friends or someone you feel would uh, benefit from it. And uh, most importantly, like, subscribe and uh, comment down below any guests you want on in the future or uh, a topic that you want us to cover. And um, yeah, we'll definitely get on it. So thanks for listening and uh, we'll see you in the next one. Thank you so much, Holly. No yeah, problem. Thanks, Holly. Enjoyed it.